0: There is a growing pool of talent to choose from, with some of the, you know, influx of larger customers that are setting up, you know, very large and meaningful satellite offices across the region. Um, you know, we obviously have a massive Amazon uh, site that's opening here in Nashville. Um, Alliance Bernstein relocated their headquarters from Wall Street to Nashville. It's another example. I'm just talking about Nashville, but I mean, if you extend that across the region. There is meaningful talent available at all levels that these startups can draw from as they're growing.
1: That was Monique Villa, investor at Mucker Capital and co-founder of Build an SC, explaining one of the many advantages of starting a business in the Southeast. In this episode, Monique shares her insight about the status of startups and findings from a report she worked on called Capital Landscape in the Southeast. She also offers advice to founders who are looking for their next steps after raising a seed round. My name is Clark Buckner, and this is season four of Disrupt the Continuum, Launch Tennessee's podcast powered by Pinnacle Financial Partners. This show is dedicated to entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem builders. This season, we're bringing you behind-the-scenes interviews with attendees and guest speakers from last year's 3686 Festival, which for the first time went completely virtual. The new, fully interactive format united a worldwide audience to celebrate community, culture, and connection with the brightest minds across multiple industries. And we've got some exciting news. Another 3686 festival is set to return later this summer. Be sure to watch this space for all of the latest info coming soon, including official dates, speakers, networking opportunities you won't want to miss. Plus, find out when and how you can register to attend. Before we jump into our conversation with Monique, we wanna thank this season's sponsor, Pinnacle Financial Partners. They pride themselves on being much more than just another bank. They offer their clients long-term partnerships for growing their businesses. Learn more at pnfp.com. Now, let's jump in.
0: Hello, my name is Monique Villa, and I'm an investor with Mucker Capital, leading our Mucker Nashville office, and I'm also the co-founder of Build an SC. And I'm very honored to be in my third year of 3686, which I very much so... Endorse is my favorite conference, hands down, in the Southeast. So I'm thrilled to be back for my third year uh, and just excited to to look forward to 2021.
1: Yes, I totally agree. I always love hearing the stories of how folks find themselves in this startup ecosystem investor role. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So first of all, thank you for, thank you so much for having me. In terms of, you know, getting started within venture capital and and startups, it really dates back to an internship I had uh, 2008. And I was in college and I interned for a startup called Tom's Shoes. And I will just say that having been, you know, on the ground for a company that at that time had 40 people full time, which is still relatively small, you know, relative to the, the size of the company that it's grown to be today. It's, to me, it is pretty clear whether or not someone is in uh, as a lifer for supporting and working with startups, because the energy is unparalleled. It's unlike anything else. And so I think once you're you're sort of bit by the startup bug, it's <laughs> it's something that you have now sort of fully turned yourself over to and i think when it comes to venture capital i saw that you know a couple years later as an opportunity to not only work with startups in a meaningful capacity and and you know the day in day out support that they need but to really help put the resources in front of companies when they need them and part of that part of that is capital and i think that you know it's a very Uh, I I feel very honored that I get to do this work on a day-to-day basis and that I get to work with founders. I get to meet with new founders and find out what their vision for the future looks like and see if there's a way for us to enable that. So, and that's coming from someone who didn't even know, I didn't know venture capital existed (laughs) before I would say 20, let's see, fast forward, that was 20. 12, 2013 was probably when I first heard the words venture capital uh, put together. And so, you know, that was was where I figured, you know what, this is exactly where I want to be. I want to help people who are visionaries and people who have a specific, you know, intention about what the future could hold. And I want to be in the background really supporting those people.
1: When you describe this as something very different, startups, that energy, the culture, it's like, Nothing else, right? Mm -hmm. That that you've experienced and that's what really helped you get that you know, get bit by the bug as you were talking about. And when you are reflecting back to those early days that motivated you, is there anything that still like it just never gets old? Like this this work that you do with startups and and supporting founders, is there anything that just it no matter how many times you do this, it just never gets old?
0: Yeah. So I think part of it people talk about wins and they talk about you know headlines and excitement and everything else and i think my favorite aspect to your point about what never gets old is really the more quiet exchanges that you know founders end up having with their investors or you know with anyone who's who's advising them or lending them an ear through some difficult decisions and i think you know i saw those when i was an intern take place, you know, there'd be a big opportunity and and everyone would have to sort of organize around that new thing in the near term and everyone gets really, you know, focused and and just ends up kind of putting other projects to the side in cooperation to make this thing happen, to make this thing possible. Um, you know, you see it in those types of instances, like a big opportunity shows up on your desk and it seems like your company could never somehow be ready in time, but then you are. And it's it's this reluctance, I think, to settle. And I, you know, and I think that I also see that when I'm interacting with founders individually. You know, I have everything from a weekly call or an email exchange, or sometimes it's a text, or sometimes it's an Instagram DM talking about, you know, a term sheet that they're looking at and thinking through, you know, well, who should I who should I go with? Who should I work with? You know, this is a big turning point in the company's trajectory, you know, who you bring on board to work with you for, you know, 10 years potentially or more. Um, You know, these are big decisions. And I think it's those quiet moments, those quiet exchanges and decisions that are made that I really love because you are sort of standing at the at, at the door of the future of the company. And you can never fully know, I think as a founder that you're making the perfect decision that's sort of an imperfect process because no one can predict the future, but it's this hybrid of taking all of the information you have available and then also learning to really listen and tune in and and kind of trust yourself and listen to your gut. And when you put that all together, it becomes really an art, you know, an art of decision-making. And I love being a part of that, those quiet moments, those, those really sort of, reflective points in time for these companies.
1: I love the way you describe that, the quiet moments, it becomes an art. Very cool. All right, so you were a speaker, two different sessions. So one session, you're on a panel scaling in the Southeast, and then you're doing another panel, another discussion. So you've raised a seed round, what's next? So between both of those, what you know what is most on your mind and what's most on your heart that you really wanted to share? What are some of the, the big takeaways? And then later on, I do want to circle back to what you were talking about with capital. And I know you've been doing some interesting research and, and, and you have something called the the Second year of the Capital landscape. and we'll talk about the trends and all that, what that might mean for the future. We'll get all the, we'll get back to that, but first, your sessions, what were the the big takeaways?
0: Yeah, so I was you know, really honored to be uh, on two sessions this year, back to back. The first one is Scaling in the Southeast, and I'm accompanied by uh, friends that are over at Techstars, Atlanta, VIP um, Capital, and also with uh, a founder out of Knoxville for Nell One Therapeutics. So we really dove in uh to a couple of themes that I think people don't fully appreciate about building a company in the Southeast, you know, this question of scaling and what that looks like. And, you know, one of my, my favorite things out of this discussion is that, you know, there's this really limited view that, you know, talent is hard to come by in the Southeast and that all the talent is in these traditional hubs and that, you know, how can you build a team here and all this other stuff? Um, that's definitely not true. Something that I think the the panel completely agrees on is that when you find talent and there's absolutely top tier talent available across the Southeast, um, when you do find that team, when you build that team and that leadership team, and then they start to, you know, build out their, you know, more junior teams and so forth and whichever department that they're managing, you know, those Teams become incredibly loyal and incredibly sticky because they are committed to your company and they are committed to the southeast, and they're not just kind of bouncing around between company to company as we see in San Francisco, where I think you know companies end up having to really pay a premium and build out all of these extra perks and everything else hmm. um, to retain that talent because it's so incredibly competitive. It's like you have a you know this attention issue if you have joined a company and then there's another company down the hall who's maybe paying a couple bucks more and then you really start to have these these issues with retaining talent especially on the technology side and on the flip side in the southeast you know founders will definitely you know testify in in you know vouching for not only the caliber of the talent here but also the stickiness of the talent here it's like you're invested in you know that talent having exactly you know the life that they want to be living in the city that they want to be living in and if you are a good leader and manager and you are building something that they really believe in they will stick around for a long time and they will not be easily swayed to hop over to another opportunity so I think that was one theme that it's it's really nice to be able to debunk some of these myths that people come in with when they're you know maybe not local to the southeast and they think that oh, well, how are you going to find talent? How are you going to do this or that in order to you know, support scaling? There is a growing pool of talent to choose from with some of the you know, influx of larger customers that are setting up you know, very large and meaningful satellite offices across the region. Um, you know, we obviously have a massive Amazon uh, site that's opening here in Nashville. Um, Alliance Bernstein relocated their headquarters from Wall Street to Nashville, Another example, I'm just talking about Nashville, but I mean, if you extend that across the region, there is meaningful talent available at all levels that these startups can draw from as they're growing.
1: It's part of this ongoing story. People are moving here and, you know, and this world has been looking very different right now and it's going to continue to be changing and that might be contributing to the Southeast being more attractive. We'll talk about that but let's go to that aspect you're talking about the seed round so tell me more about how different that is approached in the southeast you know raising money before or or during how has that looked and what's your message about a founder either who is in the southeast or looking to come here how are they thinking about that
0: yeah so the second session within 3686 we called Uh, So you've raised a seed round. What's next? And that was a really unique opportunity to bring in uh, as a fireside chat, you know, my my newest general partner at Mucker Capital, uh, Omar Hamoy. He's really a great person to speak to this for founders in the southeast and that he himself is a serial founder. Uh, His first four companies, he entirely bootstrapped and he had not taken venture funding. And then his fifth company, he did end up taking venture funding. It was a company called AdMob, which he later sold, sold to Google. Um, but he raised money from Sequoia Capital, built that out from their offices, you know, moved over to their offices essentially in San Francisco, and, and built it up and then you know, sold it to Google later. So he then joined Sequoia for six years as a partner prior to joining Mucker last year. And in talking to him, he really brings out a couple of themes that we see time and time again within the southeast. You know, one is, you know, at the seed round, the names of these rounds really don't matter at the end of the day. I think they generally get thrown around loosely associated with round size or maybe if you've raised a pre-seed, then you figure that that whatever you raise next is a seed round, or it can be based on traction. And I think that these definitions are very blurred and so when you raise your seed round the big question is, is, you know, where is your company right now? Where, where are you from a traction perspective, from a team sophistication and build out perspective? You know, do you have people that are starting to have more defined roles? Are they still doing 20 different things? You know, and then if you've raised this money, what do you do next with it? Right? Like how do you put it to work? How do you think about driving towards a series A and we really we dove into this with a series of sort of discoveries that you know Omar has personally made over his life as a, as a founder and then later as someone who is investing in and and working in, and you know advising founders and I think a couple of the things that we really focus on is you know how ready is this company to scale I think when raising a seed round some of that can be a little bit pushed to the side. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. people will say, well, we need this money to figure it out or we need this money to <laughs> um, continue building product or we want to put it all into product or we want to put it all into sales and marketing. But what we really want to ask is, you know, what are the markers, what are the indicators that are telling you that it's time to really scale this, you know? And how have you been capturing feedback from the market in a repeatable way you know what are the signs that this is sort of the right moment in time for you to, to scale because arguably it's series A which, which comes after seed you know that is supposed to be pretty much money just to scale the business and I think still people will maybe sail on past some of these harder questions at the seed be able to raise some money and then go and pitch you know a series A investor like, you know, Muckers is investing at that stage as well, pre-seed, seed and series A. So we see the whole chain of command along those lines, but, you know, people will pitch us for a series A and they'll still tell the story of, well, we want to have this money so we can figure it out. And that's just not, that's not a really valuable way to use those funds, you know, and if you think about it alongside of other companies that, do have those proof points and are ready to grow and scale, it becomes a lot easier for us to get behind those companies as opposed to the companies that are still kind of figuring it out. And so the one of the big arguments is like, look, raise less money. (laughs) Don't don't raise money as this kind of artificial marker of success, because success is only based on what the market's telling you, not what investors are maybe sometimes blindly just giving you money for. And so those are those are some of the themes I'd say that we touch on. But Omar is a wealth of information, uh, you know, over the course of his career in terms of things that he talks about. One of my favorites actually is, you know, don't push a boulder uphill for too long, right? Like the boulder, the company, the boulder should be going downhill, should be relatively easy to move. Um, if you're pushing that boulder uphill every single day, then that's the sign that you're not finding true product market fit, you know, how how can you, how can you think about what is it that that's working in the machine that is the business? And what is your set of financials as the instrument panel telling you? And which way is the boulder going? (laughs) You know, and, and I think as a founder, if you can tune into those things, and you've raised your seed round, uh, you can start to make decisions in a much more focused manner.
1: That idea of, It's an artificial success metric that some people might be pursuing. I mean, we've seen, there's so many countless stories of a company raising loads of money and it does not work out. Uh So that is not an indicator. And I think I've even heard you say before, like, hey, you know, like, you don't need this money yet. Like, go and, and bootstrap some more or go and figure it out on your own before taking that risk because when you are a founder and you start to take money that can you describe for sort of how, how things change and how quickly they change?
0: Yeah. I mean, once you have an investor, you know, that investor has a set of investors themselves. And so we are, you know, very much so representing other people and other institutions who have entrusted us with their capital. And we have given them our vision of what the future can look like. And how from a financial standpoint, we can take their money and produce more money and create value in the world in that capacity. And so we are relying on our companies to do the same and to say, you know, we will take this money and create more money with it. And it's our job to help founders be successful in that. And so I think when you agree to take an outside capital, uh, number one, all capital is not created equal so investors vary widely. And I think that this is one of the biggest misconceptions in the market is, you know, people will throw VCs into one box and angel investors in one box and family offices in another and corporate, you know, venture funds and and so forth. And even within those boxes, if people try to put them all in one, you know, there are so many variables in terms of the style of working with founders and what value they can actually provide. And it At what point are they going to sort of become irrelevant, but still be a part of your cap table? You know, and these are things that I think founders are more forgiving when they're going out and raising money, because they're really just looking for someone to give them the money that they think they need for their business. And I think, you know, the bigger question is, is, you know, money is not created equal. Who are all these people? And what are they going to do to really enable you to be successful? What is their track record? Um, can, do you have founders in their portfolio that you can reach out to and ask, you know, kind of behind the scenes, what it's like to work with them? How do they behave in good times and bad? You know, I think sometimes if you have the wrong investors and your company is going through a hiccup or or a rough patch, they can make it worse. And I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen with some of our companies that have you know brought in capital from some other investors and. Those people are not helpful during the tough times. And so, you know, I think that as a founder, really thinking about the fact that this is a long term partnership, and whatever you're signing up for, it's really worthwhile to know the full extent of what that means. Before taking that money in, you know, is that is that investor aligned with your vision for the company? Do you want to build a big business? Do you want to flip the business and sell it to the whatever bidder in like two years? You know, those are two very different sets of profiles of investors that you would be looking for. So these are all questions that, that come to mind.
1: So we were saying that we would circle back to the capital discussion and also the the recent report you and your team have been working on the second year of the capital landscape in the southeast. Right? Yeah. So tell yeah. me about that.
0: Yeah, so this started out in 2019 and originated as a as a project that we worked on with Launch Tennessee and Embark Collective and HQ1, um, HQ1 being out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Embark Collective out of Tampa Bay, Florida. And we really wanted to get our arms around, you know, what is the available capital in the Southeast? Because what happens is founders go out to fundraise and they're sort of starting from scratch, trying to find and hunt down and Uh, figure out who's in their own city and who's in the city next to them and the state next to them and so on. So, you know, we're really proud to produce this alongside of Embark Collective again this year. Um, And now we have these different data sets and these directories that we could actually start to pick up on some trends. And what we found in 2020, uh, when comparing to 2019, is that the Southeast as a region has experienced nearly a 20% growth in New Angel Network, and Venture Firm Creation. So the number of firms that are actively investing at the pre-seed uh, through growth stage startups um, has expanded to be 240 firms in total. And so our capital landscape actually breaks down and makes it very user-friendly for founders to figure out, you know, if I'm raising a seed round and I'm in this city and I'm in this mar- you know, industry, who should I be talking to? And we're adding firms to that all the time. So even when I say this point of 240 firms, I would bet you that in a month's time, that number is going to grow. And so, you know, that new firm creation is, is really a signal that the market is strong and that it's continuing to expand and to grow. It's important for founders to have more options to pull from. At the same time, we found that over two-thirds of these capital sources in the Southeast, local to the Southeast, are specifically directed at early stage, specifically pre-seed and seed stage capital. So because of that, there is an argument to be made that the Southeast would definitely benefit from greater numbers of firms that are Series A and later. And I think that that is something that we're also starting to see this trend of where you know later stage funding is becoming increasingly readily available to founders year over year. So it's something where, you know, today looking at it, there's a bit of a deficit in terms of the availability of that later stage capital that's super important, but that's definitely heading in the right direction. And at the same time, it's never been a better time to start something new because there is so much early stage, pre-seed, seed seed stage capital uh, that founders can draw from, you know, if they're product and service that they're building aligns with with the investors that we have here locally.
1: And also we were talking a little about talent earlier and mm-hmm. you were speaking to that misconception that all the talent is in, you know, the the super big hubs like New York or San Francisco, but I'm curious if you can make a prediction, you know, we're at the time right now we're recording this it's around 3686 2020. Mm-hmm. But if you were to think ahead, what do you think the southeast may look like during times of turbulence right now where some people are leaving the the really big you know urban hubs and maybe spreading out a bit more here in the southeast
0: yeah so one theme that i'm seeing in in volume on a week-to-week basis is this return home right there's founders that have gone, you know, they've gone on and become founders. So they've gone on and worked for large companies and leadership positions and so forth. And maybe they had gravitated towards some of the more traditionally recognized hubs like San Francisco, like New York. And what we're seeing is that, you know, they reach a certain age. And maybe they have kids, maybe they don't, maybe they have aging parents, maybe they have Uh, siblings, you know, who are a bit older, and they're wanting to be closer to, and those people are coming home, those people are saying, you know what, I Mm -hmm. think I'm done grinding it out in San Francisco, and paying through the nose for Mm -hmm. everything, and not seeing my family, I'm ready to get a house, I'm ready to be down the street, I'm ready for having much more accessibility to friends, family, you know, great food, great culture and and things that they really care about from a lifestyle perspective. And I'm getting introduced to these people every every week, um, nearly every day at this point in people who are saying, I'm from Knoxville, I'm from Atlanta, I'm from Huntsville or Birmingham or Memphis, or I'm from Tampa, I'm from Miami. And they're coming back. And I think You know, what that says from a talent perspective, you know, is one, these are people who are overachievers to begin with, right? Like if you're working for startups of any kind, you're an overachiever because you're not, you are not permitting yourself to be comfortable. (laughs) You're saying, I want to be uncomfortable and I want to do this really hard thing. And it's, it's not an easy route to take. So you've got these people who have worked their way up. They have started entirely new things at times. They have configured their workflow to be epically efficient, which is something I'm always striving for personally. Mm-hmm. And they're invested in a very personal way into the Southeast. And so they show up and they're ready to work. They're ready to tinker. They're ready to experiment. They're ready to help uh, founders around them they're ready to start new things, they're ready to join new things, and they're also bringing with them these networks that they've built over the courses of their careers. And I think that that alone is this incredible, you know, brain share, brain trust really that's pouring back into the southeast to complement the the brain power that's already here, and I think that that will single-handedly you know propel this region over the next decade, decades to be an absolutely a formidable player in entire process of startup creation and through growth. And I think that that's something that, you know, that train is going full force now. And I think COVID has definitely accelerated it, but this is a trend that was happening pre-COVID. And the number of intros I'm getting to people that are moving back home is is unprecedented.
1: So you're seeing the quantitative and the qualitative data. Definitely. And I just love the way you are just now describing, it's almost sort of like, you know, you're talking about these quiet moments that are some of your favorites in uh-huh. the in the work that you do. And it almost seems like I'm reminded of, you know, when someone moves back to the Southeast, you may find a little more space, you might find a little bit more opportunities for those quiet moments so you can go and create that art and mm-hmm. you can tinker and you can make something that's valuable in the world. So what's a good way for someone to not only learn about Mucker and also build an SE, the platform and community you co-founded?
0: Yeah, so we are very much so online. <laughs> um, I'm very much so online. So, you know, one way is, you know, for Mucker, we're just Mucker.com and our emails are on the website. And we try to really detail the types of companies that we're working with and, and what we're looking for. And we also run an accelerator called Mucker Lab. And so our doors are always open for people who are in the earliest stages, you know, but we also are leading and co-leading Series A and seed rounds. So you know, our emails are available. Please do, do not hesitate to reach out, Monique at Mucker.com. For Build an SE, I would say best way is start at our website, Build an SE. That's
1: build in SE. Yeah, SE for the Southeast. Got it.
0: And we have, the doors are wide open for people who are founders, funders, ecosystem builders like ourselves, and people who maybe are SE natives that might not be here right now, but maybe they will be in the future. We'd love to engage with anyone uh, from coast to coast who has a passion for the Southeast. And uh, our our doors are always completely wide open.
1: And you are one of my favorite people on Twitter, and that's just <laughs> at Monique Villa.
0: Thank you. Not to be confused with the other Monique Villa, who, has, who is the CEO of the Thompson Reuters Foundation. My handle is at Monique Villa, and that's me. Um, but if you type in Monique Via, you might see someone who's, who's a bit more prominent in the business world. And that is, that is not me. I'm just quietly at Monique Villa.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm very thankful we got a few minutes with you today thank you for sharing and thank you for jumping on here it's always a pleasure
0: oh thank you for having me and cannot wait for us to throw a big reunion party it's going to be pretty epic here in nashville
1: thanks for listening to disrupt the continuum a launch tennessee podcast for tennessee's entrepreneurs investors and ecosystem builders share their stories Remember to check back often for updates on this summer's 3686 Festival, including when and how to register. Launch Tennessee is a public-private partnership with this simple vision, make Tennessee the most startup-friendly state in the nation. With a statewide network of partners across industries like healthcare, life science, energy, music, and more, Launch Tennessee provides the resources and connectivity to drive Tennessee's innovation economy. To follow along our journey, visit launchtn.org podcast. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned as we'll be back next week to continue the conversation with another episode of Disrupt the Continuum.